0: Hi, Melanie here from Aviation Tours, unique itineraries for aviation enthusiasts, taking you to some of the most amazing air shows and events in the UK and Australia. They're leisurely, comfortable, fun, escorted, and to all the places you've been wanting to visit. If independent travels out of your comfort zone or you just prefer the good company of fellow enthusiasts on a tour taking in the best aviation, motoring and military museums, take a look at our website aviationtoursnz.com for more info and join us on the trip of a lifetime or call me for a chat on 021 076 8308. Wings Over Britain is proudly supported by the New Zealand Bomber Command Association telling the stories of Bomber Command and the New Zealanders who served. Wings Over Britain and the Wings Over New Zealand show greatly acknowledges the fantastic support from Peter and Carola Wheeler of the Hauraki Brewing Company. And we'd like to acknowledge the awesome support from Mel and Kev Salisbury, at Aviation Tours NZ, and a huge thanks to all the others out there who kindly supported the tour and the series. Without them, the series wouldn't have been made.
1: Vintage Aviation News is pleased to support Wings Over Britain and Wings Over New Zealand. And we'll be checking in with reports as Dave's tour progresses. Vintage Aviation News is an organization founded by a group of passionate vintage aviation enthusiasts who love to share the history and technology aviation museums preserve for the public. It's our intention to play a role in safeguarding the heritage of these beautiful machines by providing increased awareness and education through the use of internet-based digital media. Vintage Aviation News is an online news resource dedicated to warbirds, aviation museums, vintage aviation, and aviation heritage, and the many enthusiasts who wish to know more about them. The goal of this site is to provide fresh, daily news content for a large community of aviation fans who visit our page regularly. Vintage Aviation News online can be found on your usual social media channels and at vintageaviationnews.com.
0: Welcome to the Wings Over New Zealand show with Dave Homewood. I'm at the RAF Hornchurch Heritage Centre with Tony Philpott. Hi, Tony. Hi, there, Dave. Now you're the. Uh, what's your position? Here? I'm the curator, curator. here. And uh, can you tell me a little bit about RAF Hornchurch to start off with and its history? Um,
2: yeah, so that, that dates back to the First World War. This was um, Sutton's Farm, home defence um, obviously for protecting London um, Probably the most famous squadron here was 39, which was um, Leif Robinson William Leif Robinson was the first man to shoot a German airship down uh, on the night of the 2nd, 3rd of September 16 um, Picked it out in the searchlights over uh, Enfield and um, obviously from there he was firing into it, had uh incendiary bullets. Right. One of the things that had brought it down. It came down in Cuffley in Hertfordshire. And from that, being the first one to bring it down, obviously he was given the um, Victoria Cross. Right. Went to um get that presented to him by King George V at um Windsor. Yeah. And became this overnight star that everybody wanted a piece of. Yeah. Um, and I think that was fine in these early days. He got a little bit fed up with it decided to ask his CO to send him back to the front in France of where, unfortunately, he was shot down, taken prisoner. And because the Germans obviously knew who he was for shooting their airship down, they treated him abysmal. He was locked up, solitary confinement. By the time he was released, he's contracted the Spanish flu, comes back to England and sadly dies at the end of 1918. You know, after going through all that he's gone through to be killed by the flu. Yeah, uh, absolutely. You know, it, it's you can't even imagine, can you?
0: No.
2: So, no. but uh, so that that's how we start off. That's here until sort of nineteen nineteen, when it's given back to farmland again.
0: Oh right. And so it reverts
2: back to farm. Although we're held on a, on a list of a possibility of any future trouble, we would come back and look at this area again yeah. because of it's close proximity to London, so in a straight flying line from here to London is twelve miles. Okay. So that's why it was chosen for its, its proximity.
0: Yeah.
2: When this uh, unsettledness comes from the Germans, we're now looking to perhaps re-establish ourselves here. Yeah. Um, work goes on, and we reopen in 1928,
0: mm-hmm.
2: as originally as RF Sutton's Farm. Okay. Um, that last couple of months, we become RF Hornchurch. So really we go through there, lots of interwar years going on, Lots of Empire Air Days happening here where aircraft are coming in. And probably having something like about 75,000 people turning up to see these events. Um, obviously, that goes through until the war starts, 39, we become a sector station. We are one of the most important ones to protect London. Obviously, we go down to Kent to protect areas there. Yeah. Um, again, it's, it's chosen because of its proximity, it is right in that firing line where the Germans are coming up, they're using the Thames. The river that's here, which is the Ingrabolt, which actually leads back into the Thames, they're still following to find where they need to be. Right. Um, is heavily bombed during that period. Probably August time it's heavily bombed. That attention obviously alters then as the Germans alter their tactics and go to London. Um, we're still here protecting the skies above London, down into Kent. We lose an awful lot of people through that. Yeah. One particular incident here on the 31st of August is relating to fifty-four Squadron, okay. um, where the pilots are taking off, one of those being yeah. Um And if you've ever watched the scene in the Battle of Britain film of where you see these spitfires and it's under attack from the bombs and it flips the aircraft over, yes. that is based upon Deer's story. Right. Yes. So Edsel actually has already been hit. He tries to drag... Um, deer out deer ends up picking him up and taking him off and you know all of these things are part of the history of this airfield
0: I'd I read about that in the Alders book Nine Lives that's and, right yeah he was lucky to get away with that one
2: absolutely yeah. but you know when people watch that film who knows of all those little stories that are part of Hornchurch's history yeah,
0: yeah. you know
2: and I think that's something that we certainly talk about we educate people over that yeah you know so
0: can I just take you back? Uh, you said that it changed name from Sutton's Farm to Hauntage. Is that because of the village nearby, or right? So it became um,
2: originally being Sutton's Farm. This whole area that we're at today was originally Sutton's Farm. Yeah. Um, two of the original cottages are literally across the road, so it's still there. Farm cottages. Okay. Um, so, I think what that was, it was taking it away, and because of yes, the village being called Honchurch yeah. was the main site then. Yes. Um, obviously, at that time, the station that's close to us now wasn't there, so the nearest one at that point was Elm Park, yeah. where a lot of the pilots returned to and got off the train and went back to the, the base. Um, a, another story relating to Deer is, of course, when he got shot down uh, over France, yes. and he gets rescued, he gets brought back across on a boat. He gets the train, he's got his parachute tucked under his arm and he makes his way back to home church oh, right. on the train from the underground. Yeah. <laughs> All of these fascinating things, you know, they're, they're little parts of the history at a whole point of, of us doing what we do. Yes. Yeah. So it, it's to educate those people, isn't it? It is not it So,
0: yeah. yeah. So um, at that time during the Battle of Britain, those squadrons... Operating here, had already been involved in the Battle of France as well.
2: Yeah. Um, operating from here, they So,
0: were. so with um, particularly
2: 54, they they've been here as a squadron since, what, 30... Around right about 1930-ish. Okay. So they were the longest serving squadron ever here. I mean, Deer joins them in about 36. Yeah. And they are the backbone of this. They became... 54 became known as Hong Church's own. Right. They were the longest serving, but you had 65 along with them yep. and 74. Interchanging during that Battle of Britain period, you've got six hundred three and forty-one treble two are in and out, so you've got those those steady ones that are here. Yeah. They're moving out to rest periods. They're coming back, but this was this probably was more so um, the station that was famous, although becoming infamous. Everyone remembers Biggin Hill yeah. because it's still active. Yeah. Hornchurch was far more important than Biggin Hill. Okay. This was in the firing line of everything going through to London. So, of course, you can imagine of the hectic things that were going on around here during the battle. Sector station controlling other airfields. Of course, uh, another New Zealander in and out here at that time is Keith Park.
0: Right, yes.
2: Um, And Keith Park was originally here with Trevor 1 Squadron back in 1928 when the station reopened. So he has that link, um, and he was often in and out here flying his OK-1 Hurricane. Um, so yeah, with New Zealanders, we've we've had a big connection with with those as, as many other nationalities, and I think all the way through, we've had something like seventeen different nationalities from countries here. Right. Um, yeah, it, it was an important airfield. It's still an important place for us to be able to remember.
0: Absolutely. Of course, one of the other New Zealanders who served in fifty four Squadron with uh, with Alan was. Uh, uh, Colin Gray, and he went on to become New Zealand's top-scoring fighter as well. Yeah,
2: absolutely. I mean, and again, in those times, it's that friendship between those pilots. Yeah. Um, they're flying together all the time. Yep. And it, it's that close comradeship, isn't it? Yeah. They're there one minute, sometimes they're gone. Um, and one of the things that we say to people here, it's it's like the fire surround we have up in our officer's mess. came from the original... Officer's mess at Holmchurch. Mm-hmm. What stories could that tell of those people that stood against that? Yeah. You know, that even goes from the likes of Grey and Deer and Milan. All of those people would have at one point been in that officer's mess. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and I think for that time they're, they're living their lives in a fast pace. They're young men, they're out fighting. It's a great adventure to a lot of them, isn't it? Yeah. Exactly. And, and all these people that came from various parts of the world are coming here. They're coming here to fight for that freedom. Yes. Yeah. You know, if you listen to stories of um, William Crawford, uh, Crawford Compton yeah. when he came, if you read the story, it's like a boy's adventure for him to get here. Yeah. You know, how inspiring must that have been for those other young pilots that were, were flying alongside them?
0: Yeah, exactly.
2: So, uh, and it certainly inspires us.
0: Yeah, well, I can see that there's a lot of passion here in the, within the uh, Heritage Centre. Uh, I've met yourself and uh, two other uh, volunteer guides, uh, Jim and Paul, this morning. And um, Jim took me upstairs and showed me around, and you've shown me around downstairs. And um, you guys are, are doing a great job to preserve the history of this place. And tell me about how the, that all sort of came about.
2: Right. So for this, it goes back to about 1979. There was a, a gentleman called Ted Exel. He lived locally, worked locally. Um, He was a a peripatetic caretaker, worked within various schools. He was going home one day and he's driving past the Good Intent pub, another famous name of this area. Got stuck outside in traffic and um, sees them throwing stuff out of the pub because the pub was frequented by airmen. Um, He's looking and thinking, what are they doing? Pulls in, as they're throwing it in, he's pulling it out. (laughs) Out Now, (laughs) up in our officer's mess room upstairs is is a lot of plaques that are on the wall. They were part of what he rescued. OK. So with Ted, this passion came because he lived locally. Um, Although he was a a brown job and he was in the army, he had that love of the local history. Yeah. And so I think he, he does his first show in 1980 of where he's, he suddenly found all these ex-pilots, ground crew, WAFs that were here, and he's pulled them all together. And he's got that real enthusiasm to drive this on. Hornchurch should not be forgotten. And that first show, he has Bill Hopper, the uh, guy that uh, had brought Percy Prune to life. Yep. He was here with 54 Squadron during the war. Yeah. So with all of that, it's that great thing and the display is done and they're raising money for the Guinea Pigs Association at that time. Um, and parts money were being raised for the original stone that he was put in R.J. Mitchell's school. Okay. Um, and I think with that, people are going, Ted, you need to do something more and it's driven him to go further. So the first group being called the RF Memorial Fund, it becomes the RF Hornchurch Association. So that goes on. They're doing travelling shows. They're taking things out to various places, schools and, you know, the like. Um, I come along in 1982, want to become part of this because this is my love. You know, my late father being in the RF, 1936 to 46 as a regular. um, My passion is there. I've always lived in this area. So, of course, this is what I love. So... I, jo- I try to join, I speak to Ted and he says, was you in the RAF? No, I, I wasn't, my late father was, well that doesn't count, he'd go. Okay, well I, I still loved coming to these displays, so I'm, st- I'm still going to turn up yeah. <laughs> <laughs> about what you say to me, I'm going to be here. Yeah. And this goes on for two years and I then do finally turn up to a display where I actually get to join. Um, and that same month, when they have a meeting, I attend it, and um, I'm talking to Ted, and we get all this story about I was a brown job. Well, hold on a minute, you know, but you've stopped me joining. Yeah, but what you're forgetting is going is it's my group. Oh, <laughs> well, okay then. But you know, I'm still not going to be going away. I still got this passion. So from all that, obviously, I become part of their team. I'm on their their board. Yeah. I become their archivist as the time progresses. And one particular day, Ted is dropping me off home after one of our travelling shows and it's like, Tony, have you never realised, you know what, Ted? I've been nurturing you because one day you will be running this. Right. So now you look back and that method to this man's madness wasn't as mad as we once thought. And here we are all these years later. Unfortunately, Ted passed away in 2004. He didn't see this to fruition. But, of course, all that time, we're trying to progressively get somewhere to house all this collection we're we're amassing. Um, For us, this comes about in around 2019, thereabouts. We know that the site here, which was once Sutton's Institution, used by the RF during the war period, turning into a hospital, Closing in 2012, they're going to knock it down. They're going to build a housing estate. My first thought behind this is road names. We don't ever imagine we're going to get the building that you and I are sitting in today. So we progressively move this on, road names. They then invite us to come and look at this property. We can't give it all to you, they say, but we can give you part of it. Right, okay, well, I'd like all of it. But they're talking about knocking it down. Well, that was never going to happen in my lifetime. And so my thoughts there was, do you know what? I'm going to now be a squatter. I'm not moving. (laughs) Um, Which was that you would have to have seen the guy's expression on his face that he couldn't get me out of the house. (laughs) (laughs) Because there is my passion again. There There is the Ted in me coming out. As my wife now often says, do you know what? I think you've turned into Ted. Right. Is that good or bad? <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be good. I, I think for us, that dedication of when they hand us the keys and say, right, you can do the refurbishment work, because remember what you're seeing today is not what it looked like when we first came in. Yeah. Each of these rooms was office space at that time. Yeah. So we've turned it into the, the place we now see. Um, and I think for us, that dedication was to make sure it was right from the beginning. We then actually signed for it. So officially, it now belongs to the Trust. We now own the freehold of this building. Yeah. And we had our official opening here in um, September of 2021. Okay. So not that long ago.
0: Yeah.
2: Although, of course, that all stems back to many years before of, of how this was always going to be presented. Yeah. So in that short time, that we've been open. Um, as you've seen yourself today, there's an awful lot of artifacts and stories to, to see about this place. Absolutely. And that will always continue to grow. For us, we're always looking to expand on what we've got. Yeah. And certainly this is a project that is always going to be ongoing. It will never stop. Yeah. You know, even when my time is done here, yeah. all those new generations that come in, and that's where we look at schools. Schools, when you find those children that have that passion yeah. for what we do, they're the ones we nurture. And it takes it to that next level again, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. So I think for us, you know what? We've searched for a long time to get somewhere in Ted's day. This is Ted Exel's legacy. This is something that I've carried that baton to, but it will always be about Ted. Yeah. Um, whoever I talk to in the house, I will always talk about Ted because without him, none of us would be doing it. Right, right. So, yeah, it, it's about him. And so when we had that official opening, we had his grown-up children, They opened the TEDxL education suite. Now, I can quite safely say to you that there were tears in their eyes as there was mine on that day, remembering him and what he would have made of this. And do you know what? I still think, Ted, you're looking down at me. Am I still doing it right? (laughs) (laughs) So that's, that's, you know, the the short version of how we got this and how we got to get to this place. But it can only get better. Yeah.
0: So um, how many volunteers do you have? Um, Volunteers-wise, we've probably
2: got about 30 volunteers, okay. although we've got about 130-plus members. Yeah. But, of course, they're spread far and wide. Yes. Um, so a lot of that we don't see them too often, but we've got a hardcore number of people. Right. Um, we're always looking for new people to come through because there's always
0: work to be done. So, so do the volunteers like Jim and Paul, uh, do they only work a specific day a week or can they just drop in any time? And... Um,
2: you'll find that Jim here is almost here every day, right. as usually I am. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, it, and it's become that passion for Jim now. right? Um, for me, in those early days of us doing the work here, My wife would often say to me, can I take a photograph of you and put it on the mantelpiece? She said, because I've forgotten what you look like. (laughs) (laughs) Because I spent that much time here. And I think that's Jim as well now. Jim is here an awful lot. So suddenly he's become me.
0: (laughs) It's quite clear that you guys really love this place and you get on so well. There's a lot of banter and joking. Oh, it's it's part of
2: of what you do, isn't it? You know, without banter, it's like a boring day, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so this keeps you out of mischief. Oh, it gets me into a lot of mischief. <laughs> but it does keep this, this history alive, and that's what it's about for us, it's keeping the memory alive.
1: Yeah.
0: So you get school groups coming through here, and you, you have uh, sort of an educational program.
2: Yeah, we have, because it's part of the national curriculum now of, of um, both sort of junior and secondary schools. It's something that we are now into that part. We have lots of um, schools that come back as repeat customers. Lots of new schools that are now finding their way here. So that's great for us, it's great for them because, you know what, there's an awful lot to learn. And because they do work like this within school, this is part of their local wartime history. And we've had comments from school teachers to say, you know what, it's great for us to bring them here to see their local history. Than us trekking to somewhere, perhaps like the Imperial War Museum, where they wouldn't get that personal touch as right. they do here. Right. Yes. That's the difference. Yeah, of
0: course, because you can <laughs> talk about things that happened around here, around the the region and the neighbourhood that they all know. And and yeah. absolutely, and and even to the names of the roads that some
2: of them might live yeah, in. Exactly. True. You know, the, the book that we produced, "What's in a Name?" Well, exactly. Does does everybody know why their roads called what it is? Yeah. So we set out to actually. You know, put that in to go, well, do you know why your road is called what it's called? Because yeah. there's an awful lot of roads around here that are related to pilots, to ground crews, to aircraft, to airfields. Right. And Many people may not. Moving into the area, you wouldn't know what they right. were. Yeah, yeah. So that's something we, again, is that push out, is, is the educational side of things again. Yeah.
0: Okay. Well... Have you got a favourite artefact that's in the museum or, or in the space? In the, I, um,
2: I think that my favourite thing here are the set of trousers from H.M. Stephen, right. the flying trousers. Yeah. They were probably one of the first things that I managed to get, and it's that closeness to them. Actually meeting the man as well. Right. That's... That's the difference, isn't it? When you meet these people that you might put on a pedestal. Yep. But you know what? They were human beings like yourself. Yeah. And they did an absolutely fantastic job. But they were only ordinary people at the end of the day. Yeah. You know, I, I met lots, certainly back in the 1980s, I was meeting lots of Battle of Britain pilots lots of ground crew and my same conversation to the ground crew would be do you know what to me you was as important as that pilot yeah. oh no, no 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 you're I said but without you looking after maintaining that aircraft you know refueling it rearming it that pilot didn't finish the job yeah. you was as important but they are so modest modest in what they did yeah it was just a job to them yeah you know exactly. and, I, and I don't think there was any of them that I'd met that was any different
0: no okay so those trousers, um, just to explain, they're the leather trousers, they're sheepskin lined and they would have been worn.
2: Yeah, so they, they were really for cold weather flying because when you're up in an aircraft there's no heating as such. Yes. So of course not all of them wore this, lots of bomber crews wore them. Yes. Um, less regularly I suppose with fighter because they went up in their basic uniform didn't they? But they were part of the kit that was supplied. Um, And you will sort of look at any of these aspects of a flying kit like this, and lots of it isn't used. They had more than one uniform at some times. This is part of the history of Hornchurch. When he flew here with 74 Squadron, they may well have been here with him. It's part of that rolling history, isn't it? It goes on. And I think that's, that's why you're touching history. And the first time to touch those is just like, you know what, it almost takes you back. I think that's part of the aspect again for us. There's lots of things here that we allow people to touch, and they love to do it because it is touching history. Right,
0: right, absolutely. Uh, Now the base continued on until 1962. 62, 62, it closed. Yeah, and in that time, you mentioned a few people who became well known later. um, Yes. So I
2: mean, during wartime, we had Max Bygrove here. So he met his future wife was a WAF here. Um, he was a rigger. Yeah. Um, of course, in those later stages, 50s, you had Ronnie Corbett. Right, yes. Um, you know, he, he goes on to be that, that famous comic that he was with the two Ronnies. Yeah. Um, but he was here as a pilot officer, and he, he gets the um, title of the shortest pilot officer <laughs> ever to have that rank. Wow. Well, what what a great thing to have. I'm not sure he probably saw the funny side of that, but <laughs> um, Edward Hardwick was here as well. Yeah. So we may know him from something like being um, Dr. John Watson. Yes.
0: Um,
2: he was also in the series Coldits.
0: Oh, right. Yeah, yeah. So
2: lots of those things, but he was here at the same time as, as Ronnie Coldit. So lots of these people went through and they did their national service. Right. You know, we were at a base where national service still happened, like many of them. Yeah. Um, in the 50s, we had the 17 Reserve Flying Training School here as well. Yeah. Um, so still lots was going on, it's sort of. Basic squadron flying had finished in 44. Because as we move on and we've gone across for, for D-Day, yeah. lots of those things have now advanced to advanced light like landing grounds. So our, our flying really had stopped at that point of that. Although at 44, we had a squadron of typhoons here. Okay. Now this came about through a story of a, an elderly guy who was a, an ATC cadet who'd come here for a, a weekend camp. Yeah. And he was telling me this story, he said, we were walking along the eastern boundaries and we are walking along, he said, and I sort of glanced across and thought, they look like typhoons. The sergeant that was with them, that was obviously a regular here, yeah. had, he's gone, what are you doing? You haven't seen what you've just seen, move! Right. But they were here in that prelude to D-Day.
0: Ah, right. Okay. Because
2: the typhoons were the ones with the rockets. Yep. They were the tank busters. They were here. How long they were for here, I am not sure. Right. Something that we are, we're still looking at, but we know they were here. Okay. So all of these things suddenly, all these stories start coming out of nowhere. Yeah. Um, recently, we found as well that, to me, the boundary has always stopped at the River Ingribon. That was yeah. the end of of you know, the airfield. Yeah. In fact, in the last year we've actually found that it went across to the farmland on the far side. Oh,
0: wow.
2: There was a radar station. Oh,
0: right.
2: So there was a gun post. There was a range finder. There were 650 Glasgow Highlander troops based there. Yeah. And there was a radar station.
0: Okay.
2: Now, we found this out when a, a guy a couple of years ago um, from Switzerland, he put this lovely picture up of a model that he'd made on, on Facebook, and I commented how, how lovely it had been. Yeah. It was a red hurricane. Okay. Now I thought to myself, now, that seems to me it's going to get shot down quite easily, yeah. isn't it, a red hurricane? Yeah. But the purpose of this red hurricane was it had a metallic paint to it. It was used as a radar calibration aircraft.
0: Oh.
2: So he brings the aircraft over as the model. He donates it to us. From there, we, we do a little bit more digging. We think, now, why would we have a red hurricane for radar calibration? Now we have learned that it was a radar station on the far side at Raynham Lodge Farm. Okay. So that was also part of RF Hodges. All these stories still emerge. So oh. even where you think you know it all, yep. something's always going to appear.
0: Yeah. <laughs> when we were upstairs, Jim mentioned that um, at the roundabout where... I was staying last night in Romford. There was an operations room, or something.
2: right? So the operations room, obviously, here was bombed out. Right. They moved to um, oh Lambourn Hall, I think it was called, because it was moved there. Originally, it had gone to a little shop in Rainham, Rainham Village, first of all. But they were all cramped on top of each other, yep. as you can imagine. Um, so they stayed there for a short period. Then they moved to Romford, yep. where the the operations room then work from. Is this
0: still during the Battle of Britain?
2: This is during the Battle. Right, okay. So because, um, and I, I knew one of the WAFs that actually got stationed, she was here, she got sent there, it was Joy Caldwell, and yeah. she she would have been then, but her name then was Joy York.
0: Okay.
2: Um, and the local school just up the road, which is Sanders Draper, the American pilot, mm-hmm. who was tragically lost in 43 they've named one of the houses after her within the school. Okay. Um, but Joy had so many stories about her time in, in, in the RAF here. One point of where the bombing raid happens and she gets blown back through and she thinks she's broken her back because of the blast that's just sent her back wow. through. Gosh. You know, and that's during the battle time. Yeah. And so this, because of the, the, the thing there with it being bombed constantly, yeah. they've had to move the ops away. Right. Okay. So, but... You know, like it, it must have been a hell of a time for them. Oh, we, we can only imagine what it must have been like. We can, we'll never know. Yeah. You know, and the stories we relate are just that.
0: Yeah.
2: But they went through this
0: hell, didn't they? Yeah, exactly. Um, you could tell me about the story of uh the American pilot you mentioned. <laughs> yeah. So um,
2: Raymond Saunders Draper. He's an American citizen. He was born in London. All right. Um, He serves here with 64 Squadron. Um, In March 24, um, 1943, Mm -hmm. he takes off literally across the road from where we're sitting now. Yeah. So the airfield um, runway is there. He takes off. He gets a short way up. But He's about 300 feet up by this time. And the Spitfire has engine problem. Yeah. He knows he can't turn back. So he looks for the nearest big piece of green that he can hopefully bring it down on. Yeah. We're probably talking about 800 yards up the road. He sees this green field, except at the end of it, there's a skull. Right. He's now got a split decision to make. He knows if he jumps at that height, his chute's not going to open. So what he thinks is that I'm going to try and bring this plane down if I can. Yeah. Um, remember, uh, the school is full of staff. It's full of children. Yeah. And this is a, a regular daily occurrence that planes are taking off and going over there. Yeah. He now tries to bring it down on the field. Unfortunately, the legs fold. Yeah. He goes across the field, and on the slight impact that he makes with the school, he is killed. Right. Shattered glass. A um, couple of the children there have got cuts from the glasses. Some of them are shaken up. But. What happens here is that 15 minutes after this incident, they move their classes again. And they move on as you do in yeah. secondary school. Yeah. You go from one class to the next. The things we say to, to the youngsters we bring in now is that if you think about that now, if it happened today, yeah. of how you would have to go through these trauma clinics and you would be looked after, that it would all be shut, the investigation yeah. would happen. Yeah. Think about this 15 minutes later, those children move on. God, it's incredible. So with that, they they have obviously a collection to um, buy a wreath. They go to the funeral representatives of the school. He's buried in St Andrew's churchyard here. Yeah. Um, and that becomes a regular thing because the school go there now. Um, our memorial stone at the front now is also used as a memorial because they come here to lay a, a wreath on yeah. his behalf. We've also got upstairs, which you may have seen on your your tour around, is the actual logbook from the school. Right. So it's from the girls' side of the school. You had a boys' side and a girls' side. And the entry in it basically says, on this day, the 24th of March, 1943, this Spitfire came came out of control, crashed into the school playing fields, killing the pilot. Right. The children, some children and some staff were slightly shaken, as you would imagine, but... We, we carried on. That's that's the mentality yeah. of that generation to our generation. Right, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> because it just wouldn't happen today. Right. Amazing. And, and that's something that's right on our doorstep that happened and is part of the history of this airfield again. Right.
0: Yeah.
2: You know? So, and people coming from another country to serve in the fight they believed. Yeah.
0: Speaking of other countries, one of the... Uh, Pilots who flew from here were Sailor
2: Milan, wasn't it? Yes, he did. Yeah, he came from South Africa, um, as lots of others did. Um, And again, we're we're lucky enough now to have a relation of his who's our vice president, that's Dr. Yvonne Milan. And she will talk about Sailor. Everywhere. She is proud of that man. Yeah. He did an awful lot, not only in the wartime, but even when he went back to fight apartheid. Yeah, yeah. yeah you it. know, he, he gave his life to all of that about being able to be free. Yeah. Um, we talk about him a lot here because he was one of those well-known pilots that served during the battle. Of course, he was involved in the incident here as well to do with the Battle of Barking Creek. Right. So that was just prior to... You know, the war started. It's that period of where everybody is a little bit trigger happy, yeah. very on edge, and the instructions of sending uh, sending the squadron out seventy four to intercept because they've been told there was enemy aircraft in in the area, which actually turns out to be fifty six Squadron Hurricanes from North Weald, yeah. and of course there was this big blow up after of where the pilot is shot down and well the blame went to Milan. Of course, both of those pilots on landing which was Johnny Freeborn and um, Tracy, they are put under house arrest right. for the instructions they've carried out from Milan. Yeah. Um, the man that gets them off, who also pops up later in the story of, of Hornchurch, is um, the solicitor, Bushell, Roger Bushell. Oh, right. So he's here. He's here at that time. Of course, he's a practising solicitor. Yep. Lawyer. He's going to fight their case for them. Wow. He gets them off. Unfortunately, from that day to the end of the time, Freeborn and Milan do not speak. Okay. Because of that, it's that bad feeling. Yeah. Although he's still under his command, he doesn't talk to him because there is that feeling that had he have not said, go to this section, do this, yeah. it wouldn't have happened. Yeah. So, but look, that's war. Things, split decisions have to be made yeah. in that time, don't they? Yeah. So, with the other thing relating to Roger Bushell, of course, he is the mastermind behind the Great
0: Escape. Exactly, yeah, yeah.
2: So, he comes into the story again, and here we have a piece about the Great Escape because of all those pilots that were flying from Hortges that have been shot down in combat, yep. have been yep. captured. Now, suddenly, we've got these men wanting to escape from this prisoner of war camp. Bushell's name comes to the top again. Yep. So, you know, two really important points in the war... Both are bringing the same man to the top. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, and it's something again we talk about to the children. It's part of their history. Yeah. When I say to them, who's seen the film or heard of this film, The Great Escape? And a few of them do. Yeah. And I go, what you probably don't realise is a lot of those people there that are portrayed as the characters are Hornchurch pilots. Now that brings that story right back to our doorstep right, again. Right. So this is that education side of things again, isn't it? It's yeah. pushing every little bit out we can do. Yeah. So, we are here to educate.
0: Brilliant. Well, um, is there anything else we can think of? That- <sighs> um, where
2: else could we go? There, there's lots of things that we'd be here for days. I know. <laughs> <laughs> we've, we've
0: already spent most of the day <laughs> just looking at stuff and talking. So. <laughs> um, that, I mean, this is a, a. It's an amazing little museum. I mean, it's... It, it's you think well, it's a little museum, you start looking around, there's so much stuff in here.
2: There's, there's lots more than you realise when yeah. you first walk through the door.
0: Yeah, and it's not even two years that you've been open yet. No. Um, uh, and by the sound of things, the reaction from the locals and, and people who have come here has been really, really good. And, you, you know, you'll go from strength to strength. Oh, and absolutely. And I think
2: so, it's, it's doing those things in the right way. It's, yeah. it's small steps and not trying to run. Yeah. Um, and, I, and I think because we've had people from abroad as well that have already been here, you know, that, that word can only go out again yeah. for, for like yourself and what you're doing. Hopefully, that brings more people to us yeah. because this is a part of the real Hornchurch history, yeah. you know.
0: And, and, and the whole region, I mean. You showed me the American room, and and that's covering American squadrons who yeah. were based nearby, but they were escorted by Yeah, yeah. we funds. we had
2: two liaison officers here from the American eighth and ninth, yep. so they were here for that period sort of forty two onwards. Yeah, um, we had lots of things where we were escorting aircraft. Hence, you've already seen. I know Jim was telling about the slipper tank. Yes. That was one of the things that's attached to the Spitfire. They're taking them over as far as they can take them. Yep. Um, in those early days, we can take them as far as probably the Belgian coast and just in. Yep. Once the Mustang had that... Well, of course, they had to fit the Merlin engine to make it a better aircraft. Yes. Yep. But it's then able to take them that further point. Yep. But we were there in those early days. Yes. So with Marauders from uh, Willingale and obviously some B-17s we were escorting.
0: Yeah.
2: Um, There was a B-17 that came down here, it was all shot up, um, was brought down, they had their crash crews come in and repair it, and it went again. But all of these little stories, and and as you've seen yourself, everything is about a personal story. That's how we look at the bigger picture. People, the personal side of war. Um, The civilians here as well, you've looked at our home front room. Yes, and again. again it's those people and lots of those were working on the airfield yep. so they had trades, there was an electrician, there's a story upstairs that tells you about an electrician that worked here yep. he was a civilian but lived locally so all of these people lived their lives through this war-torn time didn't they? Oh,
0: yeah. And you've got, right now under construction there's a um, an Anderson Shelter. an Anderson Shelter. Pack. And it's a genuine Anderson they Shelter. They are all
2: been... genuine pieces yeah. from three different Anderson Shelters we've got from local. Yeah. And it's trying to preserve that again and just show how the civilian side of things were so having to live through this. And people yeah. living this close to an active airfield.
0: Yeah, it was incredible. In fact, um, have I got this right? Was it... An active airfield during the war, but there was an old folks' home next door. Well, so what
2: this was, it was called Sutton's Institution. Yeah. It's supposedly built by Essex County Council as a place to look after the elderly. Yeah. Now, if you was to look at it, and some of the existing buildings, there is still one existing building, they're very military build. Yes. Look at any other RAF camp, and you will see those same buildings we yeah. had next yeah. door. Like it was built with an intention in mind. Absolutely. So I think that this was perhaps a bit of a red herring. Yeah. To build it that close to an active airfield yeah. asks you some questions, doesn't yeah, it? It does. So it opens in September 38 at Sutton's mm-hmm. Institution. Well, by September 39, the war happens, and RF Holchurch take over the whole of that, including the houses we're in today. Right. Um, so that went right through. There was a, a Burns unit. There was lots of airmen and WAF's base there.
0: And the old people have been moved out uh,
2: yeah they've they've been moved somewhere else yeah. for safety
0: yeah
2: now we've we've got control of it as as the r e f okay yeah. um you but you had things even when max Bygraves was here, he performed on the stage there oh, right. they had a sprung dance floor,
0: yeah,
2: and um, they had up as well they had um so it was a, a they showed films, so you had a projection room
0: yeah
2: um and upstairs, we do have one of those projection windows that okay. we took from the building yeah. Um, and I think it was just like you can read lots of stories about the Battle of Britain, about how people were bombed out of accommodation here on the other side and were put into accommodation in Sutton's Institute. Right. Right. So it was part of R.F. Holm church. Yeah. You know, so that's part of the history of these houses that we sit in today were here. They were being used. We're looking into the story behind what these would have been used for. Yeah. We're not sure if they were administration blocks or whether they were temporary housing for officers. Um, That's something that we need to find that backstory to, but we know that these are original.
0: Okay, interesting. So basically RAF Hornchurch closed in '62, and in more recent times... It's all been built on, it's all housing. The base is gone. However, I think the spirit is well and truly alive in this building.
2: I I think the spirit is well and truly alive here. Um, And for us, when we are going to start doing walks of the old airfield, there are still a few bits to see there. Pillboxes, tech turrets, parts of the perimeter track. Majority is gone, but that spirit still lives. Yeah. And certainly within volunteers that are here, it still lives. Yeah.
0: Brilliant. Well, all I can say is good luck for the future. And I hope that many listeners who you know listen to this right now will come and visit.
2: No, and thank you very much for coming and spending some time with us today. It's, it's been pleasure. an absolute pleasure for us as well. well.
0: Thank you. Cheers. That was the Wings Over New Zealand show with Dave Homewood.